0: taking names come on down and stay with me tonight because i got a pocket full of kryptonite <laughs> i am rylan grant little spin doctors for you screenwriter
1: took me right back to the 90s <laughs> <laughs> I, I i
0: i was gonna deal some two princes but uh um that you know uh comic podcast i figured
1: uh you we went uh, for the deeper cut and i admire it it's good yeah because that's how I do. Uh,
0: because I am a screenwriter, a Ringo award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant Bandjacks and Suicide Jockeys. The other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is...
1: David Avaloni, uh, film veteran, comic book writer, uh, heathen.
0: Yeah, a heathen who also has a pocket full of kryptonite. Um, if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes, uh, featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, iTunes, I'm skipping one, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. so double on back and check it all out. Um, a message to iTunes as we get started, like, uh... You guys need to step your game up. You are uh, you are making it very difficult uh, uh, to go with you instead of this other uh, 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 pod dealer um, that, that 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 we despise at the moment. Um, my 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 iTunes podcasts are skipping. Uh, uh, like every single one, skipping all around.
2: I get Damn. online.
0: Everybody's having the same problem, uh, and it's a bunch of people being like, "Oh man, I tried to switch, but so iTunes, step your game up." <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I blame Vladimir Putin. Just because.
0: Yeah, I think it's Russian hackers or, or yeah. North Korean hackers. That's or, my theory. Yeah, we don't want to get on the wrong side of the those. Theory. But uh, yeah, but, but but we joke too much. Let's. Uh, we have a great show uh, uh, today. Um, uh, I guess before I do that, just real quick, uh, go out uh, the Suicide Jockeys trade paperback um, should be out. Might be out. I don't know. These paper shortages. Uh, uh, who knows? <laughs> um, but if you're listening to this. The Suicide Jackies trade paperback should be out. So go on down and get it. Um, other than that, I, I don't know if you have anything to deal, uh, Avalon.
1: I don't think that. I do. I don't think I have anything out on Wednesday. Uh, we'll talk about other things at the end of the show when we do our yeah. our, our last minute plugs. But let's bring in our guests. Let's do it, because we got a good one today. Our beloved David Boer. Uh,
2: straight from yeah. the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, David Boer. Um- I just want to point out that I am an official, uh, officially here on behalf of iTunes. So thank you for saying all those wonderful things before I came <laughs> in the room. <run. laughs> but have you noticed that uh, commercials are using 90s music now? So there's the one phone commercial that's I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. Nice. And then there's the car commercial that has like a new mix of, is it No Rain?
0: Oh God! Oh, yeah, say
2: yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, My life is pretty plain. Yeah, who <laughs> sings that? I uh, that? on the radio. It's uh, is it? Uh, it's not the Lemonheads, right? It's uh, I think it's, It sounds right
0: to me. Yeah, it might be the yeah, might be the Lemonheads. I don't
2: know. I just had like I this... should know this um 90s ptsd as soon as i graduated in 97 and i'm like oh my god
1: no it's
0: blind it, 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 uh, uh, blind melon <laughs> blind, I, blind I,
2: melon I, yeah, a, I never, yeah i never
0: i don't know why yeah i mean 10 years ago i might have pulled blind melon but uh i am in my Does the commercial
1: have a tap dancing bee in it <laughs> no?
2: oh that's right that's it's like a some kid's recital in the video yeah,
1: my I, God,
2: it, you guys! I'm going to go into a ball. It, it,
0: it's classic <laughs> rock now. You know what I'm saying? That's what that, that's what we're experiencing.
2: It was, you know, ah, man. I just Brutal. the fact that you even said that makes me want <laughs> to <laughs> curl into a ball.
1: Look, it's not a rock podcast, so you know we can we can say that. T- t- tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself, David.
2: I am a uh, current writer of comics and film and tv and i was formally well i like i'm always an attorney i'll always be an attorney but i was formally practicing full-time and i think we might be talking about that today because I um september 30th i walked out of i figuratively walked out of my building because we were working from home for a year and a half and um i haven't really looked back maybe a little bit uh, so since November 1st of 2021, I have been uh, writing full-time, which nice. is, once again, the third thing on this podcast in like two minutes, that makes me want to crawl into the fetal position. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding.
1: Yeah. No, it's understandable. Uh,
2: how long were you practicing law for? Uh, just a quick 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. As <laughs> so, one does. like, so I graduated... Um, A law school in 2004 and so i'd been practicing in various forms for 17 years until i decided it was time to um start the next adventure which is kind of interesting when you become an attorney and like this is it this is it i'm gonna retire right nope there's more in store
0: so i mean what what goes into that decision and i i don't know that i mean maybe we can't start there right because you um you weren't creating comics, you, you know. You, you you get out of law school, you get a great job, whatever. You start your law practice. You're not making comics then, right? I mean, you're 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 all in on law, I assume for the most part. And then there is this, there's this arc, right? You start to get an itch or something, uh, an opportunity for yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, how does that go? I mean, how do you, how do you, when did you dip your toe in the comics water or just the writing water in general? Um, and then, how does that kind of—I don't know—how does it all unravel?
2: Yeah. So it, it's really interesting, right? To—I to, I think about this a lot. To study for so long and try, you know, be succeed as an attorney, and then just decide that's it. I'm moving on to something else. I, oh gosh, I—you know—I was—I I wrote in college, um, nothing really serious, and and then um, you know, creatively when I was out of college. I had to decide do I want to do something that's going to, you know, be secure or is going to be creative. So I decided I yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I went to law school. Um, and that takes up all of your time, so I barely wrote it all unless it was for law school and and for classes. And then I graduated and I got a job and I sure hope no none of my former coworkers are listening to this because from 2004 to 2007 it was just like Stuffing me head first down the meat grinder and just cranking it. Um, It was it was pretty it was pretty um, challenging. So I actually started writing way back then as a form of escapism, and I like to say it was just all terrible. I actually wrote three full novels, all of them just terrible. (laughs) Um, You know, you got to start somewhere, and so. After that, I transitioned over to working for um, the court system, which gave me a lot more time. And I started dipping my toe into um, screenwriting. I went to UCLA and uh, through a pro- screenwriting program, like in the 2010s, I want to say. And then about 2015 is when I dipped my toe into comic writing and got my first opportunity there. And you know, you you both know that when you start making those tens of dollars in comics, you're just like, see a day job, <laughs> just done. It's <laughs> just making it rain quarters. Uh, so, so you know, I had I, I I was writing comics and I got a couple of opportunities, and then um, 2019 is when um, another comic com- came out, and that really was successful and so i got to transition after a couple of years i decided that i was going to take the leap uh to doing it full time and i was also writing um in film at this time and it was so funny because for for 15 years as i'm doing this i thought okay well as soon as i can replace my current salary with my writing salary that's the time when i'm going to go and take the leap and everybody who's ever done this I, i i know you're laughing inside because I, I came to the realization that there's literally no way that you can write to the level of your day job salary unless you leave your day job yeah. to then build yourself up to that salary. Yep. So, you know, so it turns out that I realized it was the right time to take the leap because I'll give myself a couple of years to get to that point mm-hmm. while I'm focusing full time because. The amount of writing you have to do to match a day job is itself a day job plus. Yeah. So if you're holding yourself back with a day job and trying to do this as a second job, it just doesn't. You're going to hold yourself back from ever getting to that level. So you got to take take the chance.
0: Well, yeah. And, and, and you know, I think that I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for you and maybe I shouldn't. But let me pose this more as a question than a statement. Um, it's almost <laughs> oh, <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, 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 but it almost seems like um it almost seems like the universe kind of I don't know, it gave you the wink, right like uh, uh, there were some things that stacked up for you. I mean it was like you know it seems to me that you leaving coincided with um okay, well, you were transitioning from being a guy who is creating his own comics in his you know in his home office to okay, well now, boom is hiring me and these other companies are hiring me to do more things. And, um, and you know, this, this really dynamic editor has identified me as somebody that he or she wants to work with and, you know, let me bring him on. And, and so you needed more time to address these opportunities that co- were coming your way, but then also what happened is, I mean, you had some opportunities uh, that that sort of cropped up in the film business, right? And so it was like, um, yeah. so it, it, I mean, what it felt like to me, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it was, how
2: do you know all this? Well, well, I well <laughs> I'm scared, right? I,
0: I, I'm just, I, 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 I'm just, I'm just reading the cards, man. Well, uh,
2: so uh, it's, it's like. Yeah. So eerily correct. Yeah.
0: Well, well, well yeah, because here's the thing is there, there's a difference between, I mean, it's always going to be a leap of faith. It's always going to be jumping into the void because you have no idea. Even if you have a couple of opportunities in front of you, you have no idea what's beyond that. Right. I mean, so it's always a leap. But but, you know, uh, rather than rather than. Yeah. Jumping in, you know, rather than leaving just to write and avoid, you were leaving to address these opportunities. And you knew that you wouldn't be able to address those opportunities if you didn't have more time. I mean, it's 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 what I wrestle with. I mean, I've been I, I made the leap. We can talk about it in a minute, but I made the leap you were talking about, I don't know, 15 or 16 years ago. And it was as terrifying. And but it was for the same reason. It's like, OK, well, um, I now either I have these writing opportunities, either. I can address them take them full yeah. force or not you know mm-hmm. um and uh and it wasn't it wasn't as hard for me because i wasn't leaving you know the the lucrative stable career that you were necessarily um uh, you're well,
2: exactly you're exactly right
0: yeah that, yeah, that... Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 but it, what, what, what uh, I, i'll finish the point and then i'll hand it off to you was just that for me it was um uh you know i don't know I, I don't know what's next ever. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm I'm paid, I'm paid pretty well now. And as a writer, you get paid in these lump sums. And it's and 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 sometimes it's hard not to go out and I don't know, you know, buy a car or <laughs> or something like that. But 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 the problem is you don't know, okay, does this money have to last me two months? Or does it have to last me two years? I don't know. I don't know when the next job is. And so 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 that's why I'm saying no matter what you're jumping into like, this void and hoping that, yeah. that there's a net there. So, so, so it's sorry. It's true.
2: And I think it was all, it was a, it was like a constellation of things that all ended up coming together. Um, I was getting up, you know, opportunities and comics opportunities. And if it was just comics, you know, you could potentially um, balance that. Cause unless you get a, like a massive creator owned hit or something, if you're just getting hired for comics work, you're going to have to do so much of that. And almost to the point that you're going to get burned out so quickly. So, um, my, my, uh, series Canto was optioned for a movie and part of the deal was me, um, writing the screenplay and that happened in March of last year. So that was an opportunity for me to look ahead and say, well, we think it's probably going to get set up and we think this is probably going to happen. Um, so that was good. And a couple other things were happening. And then I was working for the court, I was working for a judge. And my judge retired sort of unexpectedly. And I was gonna have to transition to working for another judge, sort of starting over anew. I was already working with this judge for several years. And I just thought, you know, to be fair to myself and to my potential new boss, I can't really start a new journey when I'm already sort of 75% of the way down the road or 80% of the way down the road of, of writing. Mm-hmm. So that was part of the leap of faith. I set a date and I said, you know what, I'm not transitioning to something new in my legal career. I'm just going to go and start writing. And as far as the uncertainty about when the paychecks are coming, you're absolutely right. Um, I think uh, we, we all work in comics and film. So having the royalty stream from comics has really helped been helpful to sort of predict in some generalized way that there's some income coming in so it's not just like a job to job type thing so that's what i plan to do going forward is create my own content and then adapt it and while i'm adapting it the the content itself hopefully will generate royalties to at least offset a little bit of um you know the uncertainty
1: and but talk you, are, to me in six you are doing some <laughs> you you are doing some some creator own stuff but you're not uh you're not the creator that owns it. The, the Firefly book, uh, the Joe Hill book rain. they are both great. I, I rain was very, a very painful read. Uh, but, but really well done. And uh, has the second issue of rain dropped
2: yet? Yeah, it was, uh, two weeks ago. I want to say. All right. I got to Yeah. And it's, you know, that's work for hire. uh, and, And that always is a nice supplement. Um, firefly in particular was good because they they let me do like a long i don't 10 11 issues yeah. so yeah. i knew and we're very very far ahead in the scripting process on that so i've been able to sort of stack that up so that's going to be coming yeah. out and then the creator-owned stuff is you know that's that's where you get i get you know royalties and it's still not sure i mean there there are creators out there who are making a lot of money in royalties and yeah. I um, am looking through the window with my face pressed yeah. up against it, as yeah. we all are, I feel like. Sure. Um, but a monthly I, a
1: monthly work for hire book, even though it's not you know, the greatest money that there has ever been, it still does help you. I've transitioned, uh, but it's not like I really put my foot down and said, this is the moment. It's just like the film work got more and more kind of horrible uh i was working as an editor and the last two films i worked on literally became you know legal cases i i now need to back away from this part of my career um but i will say that i you know i got an opportunity to write for marvel 22 years ago and i had a day job and i couldn't and what they wanted from like an absolute beginner was a lot. They're like, write a first issue of a creator-owned book. I was like, you don't want to just give me some like back catalog thing to work on.
2: What?
1: Yeah. That was their new writer program when I I met, I literally met Joe Casada at a party, and we talked for an hour and an hour in. He's like, Hey, you ever thought about writing comic books? And like, that's everybody's dream encounter, you know, meeting the yeah. editor in chief of one of the big two having just a general conversation. And I'm saying, "Hey, you're a writer. You should write for comic books. And he passed me off to Tom Brevort and Tom liked my writing sample and all that, but it was a screenplay. It wasn't a comic book. And they said, okay, so the next step is with no experience in this field, create a comic book series. Uh, and just, that was more work that I could, than That's I could do and get up. You and the
2: meat grinder. Yeah. yeah. It,
1: was, it was just, it was just it was too much at the time, and I was lucky that you know, fourteen years later, something else came along. But what was your first opportunity in comic books? Who opened that door for you?
2: Um, the uh, if you know Vault, Vault Comics, they picked up my first ever creator-owned series. It was the first time anybody had shown any um, sort of interest in what I was doing, and then I did a couple series with them. And then Kanto um, came along at IDW, which I feel like I cut my teeth with um, my first two series, and then Kanto uh, had some some. That's that's what game. That's what opened the doors for me. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. lest anyone think if you're familiar with Kanto and sort of the trajectory of it, um, lest anyone think that it's like there is a <laughs> it's like shooting star, right? Not at all. It took me like a year or more to get other to like start having those other opportunities come sure. in. So it wasn't like it was I blew all the doors off and here here we are. Um so oh yeah I have I should show it right now. I have my copy right here.
0: Yeah I have it okay. on my two read stack. Got got the, you
2: got the got these sitting in there too. <laughs> We've got time, just go ahead. <laughs> <I hate
0: it. laughs> I, 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 yeah. So far behind on things right now but
1: yeah. But, but yeah, yeah so my... you so you did two books with Vault <laughs> and then pitched Kanto to IDW. Yeah,
2: so I found uh Drew Zucker who's my co-creator and the artist on Kanto. Um we I I knew of his work and I liked it and so I reached out to him and he had a character sketch for Kanto right there. Um and as soon as I saw that like within a half a second coming in my inbox. I'm like, I don't know who this is. I don't know what a story is, but we are definitely telling it. This is the and, person. So. Yeah, just because the character design was so amazing. I, I can, I'll pull it down just to show it, folks. That's
0: it, huh? Yeah, it's
2: yeah, crazy. It's like a th- three foot tall little knight in search of a heart. Uh, yeah, so that, that opened <laughs> some doors for me. And since that time, I have uh, just tried to ingratiate myself as much as I can it's really all about meeting editors and like you said and did you what did
1: you uh pitch to IDW was it a character sketch and a paragraph was it a full script was it a full comic well like what did what did you need to do to sell it to them
2: they were pretty demanding so I have this pitch document that um we put together that looks it's a it's a pdf but it kind of it has a cover on it and it kind of looks like an old-timey storybook on parchment so, um, we we put we put like a quote from Wizard of Oz on the first page and a little outline of Kanto <laughs> and then you turn in we told a little bit of the story and then market and all that sort of stuff, and then we had f- six finished pages. Okay. Um, so it was uh, inks, colors, letters, so you could get a sense of what it was, and sure. then we did something really cool. So if anybody's out there pitching comics, um. We did it. We, we made a page that did not, um, that was not a story page. It, it did not, wasn't never going to be in the first issue, but it was showing like snapshots of where his adventure was going to go. It's a big fantasy series. So it was like there was a big kraken <clears throat> and there was giants and then he's riding some, you know, creature. And we just wanted to tease where it was going to go. And then IDW asked for a full script and inks on the full first issue. Oh, well.
0: Wow. Yeah,
2: we kind of knew that we were going to do the series, whether we had to pay for it ourselves or not. So we ended up doing it anyway. But yeah,
0: so so is this? I I, it's a beautiful document. I've seen it. You shared it with me a a year or two back um, when you know I think you and I were I don't know if we were doing a panel on pitching uh, publishers or something like that. And you shared that with me. Um, Is it is an approach you you've you've taken since then? Are you still putting together these very beautiful? Uh, I mean, to a certain degree, you're in a place where you kind of don't have to, you know, when when you become (laughs) the the guy that's a canto, you don't have to put that much effort into it. But it's it's interesting, um, you know. Uh,
2: Yeah, I think sometimes you have to. You you still have to put in the effort, but now it's less it's less um, designed. Yeah. So I still put in sample art and I'll put in sometimes like headshots of of actors and things for characters. And but now I don't have to. That sounds so. C- crappy to even say it out loud but unfortunately you know fortunately yeah n- no no more sample pages are requested no more scripts are requested that's a good thing yeah
1: you
0: have earned your way into yeah. uh, you know uh, uh, past you know I, you know, I don't know a, a few of the the hundred gates that that we have to, to, yeah. kick, to kick our way through to get one of these things across the finish line. I mean that was my point. Um, yeah it, it, your your pitch deck inspired me uh, a, a lot because um you know I mean it's you never know you never know how much or how little to give these people. Um, you never know um, you know what uh, what format you know to 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 place it in. Um, and I just thought, I thought your pitch deck was fantastic and, and that was always in the back of my head. And then, um, very recently I kind of, ch- I changed the way that I pitch television. Um, you know, oh. I, 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 you know, I've been, been very close, uh, on, on, on TV stuff, you know, a few times over the years. Um, and, um, I, this, this latest thing I'm working on, we just sold a, we just sold this TV show to Lionsgate and we're having the network conversations now and, um and uh we were partnered no with I've talked <laughs> about it on the show before
2: my chair. I've falling out of my chair. I've, I,
0: I, my chair. I've <laughs> talked about it on the show before, so I don't I, I don't wanna you know uh I do too much of the background on it. But um uh, but but we're we're partnered with guys who have have sold uh, you know a few TV shows recently. We're, we're with uh, David Diggs and Raphael Casal. David is uh one of the stars of, of Hamilton. Course.
2: I am so, I right? am a huge uh, uh snow piercer.
0: Yeah. 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 He's, he, he's awesome. But, uh, but, but his partner Raphael in particular is like amazing at creating these pitch decks for, for their television shows. Um, and uh, his day job, you talk about leaving a day job and, uh, and transitioning into creative work full time. Uh, he used to do pitch decks for nonprofits that that was his job. And so, um, so when he pitches TV now, um, you know, we, we used to go in and give the 20 minute spiel and, and, and that, and that was the thing. And sometimes you sold it and sometimes you didn't, but it was, you know, I think the more that you can kind of show them what this thing is and what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like. And so so Rafa would do these amazing pitch decks. And that was how they, they sold the blind spotting. It was like you just immediately got the vibe of it. You could almost hear the music playing while you're reading the pitch deck and all these things. And, and so when we went and pitched our show together, I mean, he took all of our data and sort of turned it into this amazing pitch deck these little snippets and and you know we're, we're bringing them pictures and we're doing photo shoots and all these things and in the end it was the show it was the show in like a you know 15 page uh powerpoint presentation and it was awesome you know or, or a pdf that you leave behind and um and and it clicked. It was it was like this document that that you created, and and, and the networks loved it. You know, they're like, "Oh, this is so helpful." Um, you know, uh, uh, I, I I can see it. It makes sense to me. I have no questions because it's all right here. Um, and because of that, I then went back to the drawing board, and I'm I'm in the process now of you know shopping the jump and shopping the peacekeepers to um, to traditional publishers after the whole like you know Kickstarter uh, uh, you know COVID um, uh, uh, sort of tangent. Um, and I went in and because of you and because of those guys, I created pitch decks for them.
2: Um, Well, yeah. And I think that the, the goal with any of these pitch decks and, 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 you know, they can be varying degrees of, of designed and, you know, however you want, but I put my editor's hat on and I think, and when I was doing the Canto pitch deck, I put my editor hat on and I looked at it and I thought, you know what? I love this. And the only reason there's there's only one reason for them that they'll say no. And that's, this doesn't fit. This doesn't fit something internally, some reason that they have. It has nothing to do with whatever we've provided to them. And I think that's ultimately the goal, no matter what you do with a pitch. It's don't, you know, present the pitch so that the only no that you're going to get is something that they, you know, from their side, nothing that you've done for them. So, like you're sitting with TV. If there's any questions or it's confusing or you don't get your vision across, that's a no that you've created, not a no that comes from them. So, that's ultimately, you know, the goal. I think in any pitch.
0: Well, I, you know, both TV and you know, particularly comics, it is a visual medium, like first and foremost, yeah. right? And so, it is very hard to get your full vision across, like in a Microsoft Word document, you know, in 12 point. You know times new roman font right um you know no, no, no matter how flowery your your prose are it doesn't quite come to life but if you can
2: i don't know avalonians prose is pretty nice my prose
1: is very 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 moving yeah, yeah. he's Perfect. got
0: those he's got those rhymes too um <laughs> yeah. uh, but but yeah if you can bring it to life visually somehow and you don't want to like inundate them with with stuff right you don't want you don't want to make this an hour-long experience that they <laughs> they, they can't possibly digest um, but, but yeah, it was, um, I mean, when I read your pitch document and when I read Rafa's pitch document on blind spotting, it was like, you know, it just, it just came to life. You know, you got just enough. It was like a thimble full of amazing and not a, not a pitcher full. Um, and of course you make it clear at the end that, Hey, if you want a picture of this, we got, we got 10 pictures. We can talk about this for, for two hours. Yeah. If you want to answer all the questions, we can show you a, a sample issue. We can do all these things. Um, but you give them the perfect thimble. But it is a really dynamic visual uh, thimble that sort of brings the thing to life, like on the page in their minds, the whole nine yards. And um like you said, it becomes very hard to say no.
2: You know? Well, and that's, I feel yeah.
1: why, that's why every, you know, screenwriters are running to comic books is because your comic, you know, you're you're making a pitch deck that you sell to people for four dollars. You know, it's a. Uh, You know, it's that I've said this a million times, but obviously I am not in favor of people doing that. I'm not in favor of a comic book, which is just clearly your pitch (laughs)
2: set. And it's always really transparent when you see I was going to say, you can see that from a mile away. I always
1: say, like, don't spend six months and $10,000 on a brochure for a TV show that doesn't exist. Make a comic book that you love. Sure. Great. And, you know, it's a funny thing, like, we, pitch, we pitched uh, Drawing Blood, the creator-owned thing I have with Kevin, all over town before we even wrote it, before we even made the issues. Didn't really catch fire, and uh, we had always thought of it as a live-action thing. And what was funny is by the time it was finished comic books, there was an animation company that wanted to make a pitch deck out of it, and they literally just kind of said, so we're just going to recreate the first issue as a pitch deck. Like if you can just, I think we had Ben change the aspect ratio of, you know, make rectangles out of some of the panels that hadn't been rectangles, but literally that was like 80% of what we contributed. And he was like, you know, for an animated show, it's a 22 page comic book. That's pretty good length for a half hour animated show. So let's just, we're just going to use your episode and we're not going to change anything. And, you know that's nice. Um, I wanted them to work a little harder on it. Than, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, scanning in our comic book, um, but you know, it's a it, it is a it is a tricky thing to sell any idea, and you know, comic books, especially you know, Canto. You have such beautiful visuals uh, to start with. You know that character is so. That's the hardest thing in the world, I think, and you know, is to create something that's instantly like, "Oh, that's a that's a thing."
2: I get it. it. And then just and doing yeah. like the little details, like the like the parchment on the pages. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just the design in the background. It's just texture, but that automatically, as soon as you see that and you see that little character, you're like, okay, so we're getting a fantasy story that's kind yeah. of like a fairy tale. Yeah. So I get it. And then we yeah. quote a Wizard of Oz. There was literally no, we quoted Wizard of Oz and Dante's Inferno on the first page of text. And they knew, you knew. Looking at that, you're like, "Oh, okay. I know exactly where we're going now. What's the story going to be?" Yeah. And if you can create that sort of shared shared language for even mm-hmm. you know a few seconds with an editor, or with the with the um, you know executives, then I think that you are so far along because they already get sort of what you're going to do.
0: <clears throat> you make it easy for them to digest, and like you, you are you are showing respect for their time, right? You know, it's it, it, it's not, I mean, you can, what you said with a couple of quotes, you know, it could take you five pages to say, right? Um, but you just very clearly gave them, it, 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 very quickly, very clearly gave them some touchstones and then moved them forward. I mean, I think that that is the, um, and then it also shows that, I mean, you are telling a story with this pitch deck, right? Um, yeah. and, and and how how quickly can you get it out there, get, get the setup out there, um uh, uh paint the world paint the references all of those things it's like you're um you know what it is it's an audition right you know as soon as as soon as you walk in the room as soon as they open that document it's an audition and uh and and, and and you know you you better not have any fat particularly up front you know this is a this is a busy editor or an exec and they may have you know a couple of minutes uh, uh at the end of a friday to look over your pitch deck before they Run off and you know have some beers with their coworkers or something like that, and they
2: and don't forget this is like the tenth one they've heard today. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they desperately they desperately want to say no to everything. They desperately want to because it makes yeah. them easier. It's like okay, well if I say no on page one, I don't have to read you know the ten pages that come after it, right? Yeah. And I save myself some time. It means I can get through two more of these and maybe find the the diamond in the rough, or it means that I can get home and spend time with my kid, or or any of those things. So, yeah. so, so, you know, so make it easy for them to move on to the next page and the next page, and then ultimately yeah. make it very easy for them to say yes, because they they want to say no immediately. And if they have a reason on page one, they will toss it aside and move on to the next one, right?
2: And even when they wanna say yes, they have to, it's just them who who is saying yes right now. There's people above them that they need to take this to, and they need to be able to describe what this is, you know? So, if they could take Kanto up the chain, and, you know it's this really cool fairy tale about this little clockwork knight. He's a, he's in the search for a heart, and then holds up a picture of Kanto, I'm like look how cute he is. It reminds me of you know Baby Yoda or um, like little Frodo from Lord of the Rings. You know, just really cute character. That's how they pitch it to their bosses. Yeah, not mm-hmm. intricacies of the plot or whatever. Right. So the more you can give them the tools to convince their, their higher ups to take a chance on, on you and your project, the better off you are.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like movies, you know, you say, you know, what's the poster, what's the trailer, mm-hmm. you know, what's, what's the thing that's going to, what's the thing that's going to make someone interested in this idea.
2: I was just, I'm, I'm writing a, a movie right now. And it's so funny because I'm now thinking about that, especially going to streaming. like, I have an idea for an opening scene and it and I'm thinking, is this gonna be something that somebody's gonna watch for the first three minutes? And is this scene cool enough that they're gonna continue watching on streaming?
0: Right. <laughs> that's yeah, exactly
2: yeah, what I thought. You bring but it up on
0: that you bring it up on Netflix, it starts to play, right? So it's yeah. like so so it could be that they haven't even chosen, they haven't even committed to watching the movie, so they just hover over they're hooked
2: it. In? Yeah, yeah they're and hooked
0: then in. the scene starts to better, play.
1: But that's a <laughs> awesome. that's a rational that's a rational Concern, you know, when my dad taught writing and he wrote, you know, 200 published novels, roughly his thing, his thing that he loved teaching was he called it the narrative hook. And he's like, if that first line gets you, you stick around, you know, you want to find out what it what it is and what and he made me sort of conscious of that, of, of the importance of that book and of what's the first thing the audience hears. And what are you telling them about the movie you're about to see? He pointed out to me, I will never forget this, because it was such an interesting, uh, you know, something that's, there's the meaning of a line within the scene, and there's a meaning of it for the whole project. The first line in Superman, the movie, my father pointed out to me, is Jor-El saying, this is no fantasy. And he's talking about the charges against General Zod, but he, what he's really saying is, we are going to take Superman seriously for two and a half hours. You maybe weren't prepared for that when we came into the audience, when you came in and sat down. You maybe thought you were going to see something like Batman 66. But yeah, this, George you know, Reeve, Batman, yeah. Like, The first line could have been anything about the charges against General Zod. But a really good screenwriter goes, I'm going to have him say something that sets up the entire approach of the movie even though that's not the meaning of the line in the context of the scene. And I always think about stuff like that. I always think about what you're leaving them with, what you're starting them out with yeah. and what the, what the echo is. Cause like I said, does did one in a million people watching that movie grasp the subtext of the Marlon Brando line or did it just kind of wash over them and they heard it without hearing it,
0: you know? I am uh, I am in the middle of um I'm writing a kind of tips and tricks column for like a, a comic book website. you know, it hasn't been published yet, but I'm putting it together and you know, trying to figure out, okay, well, you know w- w- what do I have to say to a would-be creator or something like that? And um the first thing that came to mind, and it is a a, a sort of a, you know words that I live by is just punch them in the face right off the bat, right? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, the is reader-
2: like look at the subtext, and Ryland's like, punch him in the face. No, 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 no,
0: no, 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 what we're, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about the importance of that, that first line, or that first page, or, or, or whatever, yeah. and, and I think about it, you know, and, and and this is what you were talking about, but we're like, you know, I mean, right off the bat, like, you know, okay, they they turn it on Netflix and what do you grab them with right off the right off the bat? I mean, I, I say punch them in the face, but grab them by the throat and don't let go or whatever, you know, j- j- just make it so enticing to read the next line or turn the page. And it's funny. So it's like, so so I, I just, I'm, I'm thinking through this and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess what I generally do is I try to punch them in the face, like right off the bat. And then I thought about it more, and the number of times that I start a comic issue with somebody literally just getting smashed in the face,
2: <laughs> you know, <what> I'm
0: saying? <laughs> just, just right off the bat. This 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 is the beginning of issue two of Aberrant, and and it starts with our our, our you know, it starts with somebody just getting a, a beer bottle broken over his face. That's um, so start with right right off the bat. You know, our, our our main antagonist is just running for his life. You have no reason why. You, you, you have no idea why. You're gonna find out, and you got to turn the page to find out, right? Um, and and uh, you know, I think uh, I don't I don't have the trade paperback yet because it is out. Uh, I don't know this week or next, uh, depending on uh, how the paper shortage uh, deals with us. But um, but I think issue three of. Um, of uh, a suicide jockeys starts with our protagonist getting punched in the face. Um, <laughs> so, so, the number of times I've literally done that, I mean, I think that, um, you know, it's it's an important thing. You know, just I think just grab oh, don't
2: no, I want to open an issue where somebody's getting punched in the face and the sound effect is like a big Rylan with an exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> Rylan. I think to make that sound effect, it, it would be good if they were getting
1: punched in the face with like a crowbar, something metal. You know, Ryland kind of sounds like it's got a a ricochet sound, a metal sound, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But,
2: but you
1: know, the other thing that I I thought about this years and years ago that you have to, when you're telling a story, there are things that you can do in a novel in terms of mystery and hiding things from the audience that you really can't do in a movie or in a comic book. And a, a friend of mine hired me once he was working on a project that was a sequel to Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea but the reveal the reveal that it was that was an hour into his script like it was about shadowy businessmen hire a salvage expert in the 1930s to set to do deep salvage and he finds out that they're literally nazis and they've hired him to salvage the nautilus from the bottom of the sea interesting but that's revealed to the audience an hour into the movie and i read his version of the script and i said what do you think the title of this movie is and what do you think is in the trailer
0: <laughs> it's called Twenty One Thousand leagues under the sea i'm yeah. like
1: do you really <laughs> think anyone is going to go see a movie about a deep sea salvage expert in pre-war yeah the pre-war atlantic that doesn't particularly have a science fiction or a hard edged action adventure. Like you're yeah. literally, you're pretending that you can sell this movie. I said, dude, the movie's going to be called Nautilus. Yeah. The submarine's yeah. going to be in the fucking trailer. There's no way around that. So scene one, Nautilus. Yeah. Then well, you, yeah, yeah, yeah 45, you know, the James oh Bond God. producers have known this for years. Yeah. Open with a good action sequence and you can do exposition for a half hour, 45 minutes. It's fine. <laughs> Go nobody ahead. has nobody has to throw another punch if you have a spectacular enough opening sequence. But you gotta you're not gonna be able to open your submarine movie with we might see a submarine at some point in the next hour, hour fifty, you know, like it's it's gonna come up at some point that there will be a submarine in this thing. No pun intended. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But that's the but you know, it's uh I was writing a horror thing once, it never got made called Helevator. And initially I did the same thing. I had it be about a guy who goes to work for a company and he doesn't know what they do. And eventually he finds out they make this elevator that goes to hell. And I'm like, the movie's called Elevator. Like we got a opening scene. <laughs> somebody is thrown on an elevator and it opens in hell. And then our hero can be confused about what's going on for 40 pages. But, you know, it's oh, uh, Elevator. You do- I never you got made this
2: tragedy. <laughs> so I mean, you, elevator. It, yeah.
1: It, it is a, it is a tragedy. It's a good script actually, but, uh, but that's the thing is like, you do, you know, there's this, there's an impulse I think to go like, oh, it's, you know, you're not being an artist. If you think about the audience, it's like, you no, know, you, know, you really, every artist is thinking about the audience uh you know
2: and it's shocking to me how often i'll go on a streaming service and i will select if i'm just doing like a random something to watch how many how how often i will scroll through just the the um pictures they use for the movies and stuff and you know i'll I'll expand something because i think it looks cool on the little thumbnail like now you got to figure out what the best coolest thumbnail is going to be for your movie to get some clicks on it well well,
0: yeah the funny thing is is netflix will change the thumbnail based on their their algorithm that that on on what their algorithm says about you right so right so you know david has has clicked on you know these two thousand things over time we have you know we, we have 10 different thumbnails that we can
2: put in front of them this is the perfect one um, you watch that, enough. You watch enough hours, and, well, and every and thumbnail again, for every movie is exactly the same. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the perfect my, thumbnail. For yeah, you. yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> mine, mine is Bruce Willis jumping off a building for for, for everything. <laughs> I, I we, we tried to watch Love Is Blind, and for some reason, it was Bruce Willis jumping off a building. It was weird.
1: <laughs> no, but look, that, you know, I remember my father telling me once that he was walking through Harlem in the '40s, and he saw a marquee that said Casablanca, starring du- Dooley Wilson. Like the audience, you market to the audience that you have, you know, and you, yeah. you, you mark. It's like, and you can, that can be a problem if you sell something really inaccurate, you know. What the number of, of uh, straight to video films in the '90s that have, you know, like an actor in them for. You know, it's something Kevin Costner shot one scene in before he became a huge star. And suddenly it's a movie starring him. And if you scroll, if you fast forward through it fast enough, you might just find the scene he's in. But, you know, it's uh, so, you know, you, but there is also the Roger Corman. It's like, well, when I misled them with the poster and they bought their ticket, I now have their money and I don't <laughs> I don't care that it's yep. not it's not actually uh, cycle mamas from hell or whatever the hell. Yeah you know but,
0: speaking you know. of bruce it's how it's how bruce is keeping the bills paid these days he'll uh you know he'll he'll uh he'll take a two million dollar paycheck and walk in for a scene or two and smile for the poster and then he's off to the next one you
1: know yeah yep no it's <laughs> it's it's definitely yeah it's it's easier than working you know yeah, yeah That he's that he's not worried about his day job no, uh, <laughs> that is that is his day job. You
0: know? Yeah, we should we should Avalone, You you and I didn't get our stories out. You know, I don't know if you want to go first or if I should go first, but 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 we should talk about. I mean, I I, I think it helps for the creators out there, the would be creators, to hear like the how I, I mean, because
1: I, well, I I, I mean, someone on someone on Twitter just today or yesterday was like, "Is thirty three too late to change careers?" And I was like. I wrote my first comic book at 49 years old. Yeah. So if you think I have an acceptable comic book career, I'm going to go out and say, no, 49 is 33 is not too old to do something completely different. Yeah. Um, the, the, the,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. The, fir- the first one was not hard for me, you know, because um, it was like, I moved out here to, I moved out here to, to write movies, to, to, to make movies. Right. Um, and so I was, um I was at the American Film Institute Conservatory studying directing, um, but you know I had to I had to pay for school. I had to pay for you know my my books, my supplies, my rent, all of that stuff. And so I was going to school during the day, and then I was subtitling at night. I had this job where I was creating um Amer- I was creating English subtitles for uh, for DVD releases, and so to this day, I think I've talked about this on here before, but if you put in, you know, uh, DVDs of like Night Court and Murphy Brown, and uh, I think I did, you know, probably half the episodes in the first three or four seasons of Seinfeld. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, that that's what I was doing. I was subtitling at night. And um, at some point, at some point, the math on that changed, because um, it was, you know, it was a, I don't know, it was like a, a factory job. Right. I was like, I I was basically putting two bolts and, and in a car and then moving on to the next one. Right. And um, so we would come in. We, we realized that we could get about, you had to do one episode per per shift per eight hour shift. And and we realized that we could do, we could get about 80% of our work done in the first hour Uh, um. of, of, of the day and then we would all kind of sneak off and we would go into the parking garage and we would get like a case of beer and throw a football around, you know, and, 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 and just have fun for a couple of hours. And then we kind of stumbled back into the, uh, you know, on, onto the, the, the titling floor and um, we would sort of trip through the, you know, the, the final 20 percent of our, uh, our, our work, like in those last couple of hours. And, um, you know, then online poker became like a big deal. And then and then uh stumbling through that final twenty percent became, okay well, I'm subtitling, but I'm also playing online poker while I'm doing it And then at some point, you know I was, I was I I was pretty good at online poker and then I became really good at online poker because I was doing it a lot, and then at some point, I was making a shit ton more money uh playing online poker uh, than I was subtitling. and so I uh, this is my first leap of faith. It's like, okay, well, do I leave subtitling to become an online poker player? <laughs> so at some point I made that I made that leap of faith and that works out well. Um, but then I am about you,
2: Were there uh, poker terms that made it into the inadvertently made it into the subtitles? Like if you watch a Seinfeld episode <laughs> really you see random rays and all in (laughs) all in
0: yeah yeah i mean that was uh our work certainly suffered for that i don't don't know if there was a ray hopefully qc caught all those but um but so so that's leap of faith number one but then it's you know um but then at some point um so i'm about halfway through afi and um i had a i had a script uh i had a script called drive this was uh a few years before they made the um the uh the the drive that we all know and love this is a different drive but um uh i won the uh, final drive had been kicking around town for a couple of years um and people liked it um but you know you know never got a sale never got that sort of bite but then it won the final draft big break competition back in like i don't know 2005 or something like that and then suddenly all these people who um who said no to it before were interested right suddenly the the agencies the management companies came um and uh it was funny because it's like people who had you know people who had read the script a few months before they're like oh i love the changes this is so much better like i don't know what you did but you know it was almost there and now it's there I, I didn't change a word you know it was just the it was you know the change they saw is that it, it had won this contest and so now somebody else had said that it was great um And so because of that, I started getting, um, you know, I, uh, I got signed at CAA and I think you're at CAA now, right, Thor? Is that, is that right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you sign with an agency and then you have this honeymoon period where it's like, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread for a minute and a half. And you do this water bottle tour. uh, They call it the water bottle tour because you go and you meet with everyone in town and they give you a bottle of water. You walk out with it. Some people save them and they have their hundred bottles of water hanging (laughs) up on the shelf or whatever. They call it the water bottle tour. So, um, you know, because of this, the opportunities started coming, right? Um, You know, do you want to pitch on this project? Do you want to, uh, you know, do you want to, um, uh, you want to do a take on this? Do you want to, uh, are you interested in this sort of thing? Do you want to meet with this person? And um, then became this tug of war. So it's like, okay, well, I I had three things. It's like, okay, well, I have this, I have this day job. I mean, it it sounds weird because, you know, I I basically played poker, but uh, but it was paying the bills. Um, But then I also, I'm full-time at school. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, do I finish at school or, or, um, or do I, um, you know, or do I make the most of these opportunities? Because it's like when Tony Scott's company says, Hey, we want you to do a, want you to do a take on this, like that, that might be two weeks of full time work. Well, it's like, I can't do that if I have to make money to pay the bills, uh, and then also, um, you know, and then also, uh, uh, uh go to school full time and all of these things. Um, and so that, that was a big deal for me, you know, and, and when it was just, when it was just opportunity, it was very hard to let go. It was very hard to jump into the void. It's, but, but I was dealing with the same thing you were, David, where it's like, well, I can't, I can't take full advantage of this opportunity. I can't do these takes. I can't read all these scripts. I can't, I can't take all these meetings unless I have the time to do it, unless I'm, I'm all in. And what eventually made it, uh, uh, you know, easy for me or easier to leap into the void is that I had a, you know, I had a legit offer come in. It was, I, I was, um, I had to, I was 24 years old um, and there was this cattle call, this cattle call um, uh, uh, writing assignment. I think I was one of 15 people who had to walk into the Chateau Marmont and pitch Penelope Cruz uh, on a remake of a Claude Chabral film called One Fair. Um, and it was a job I was going to be writing with, um, uh, Fernando Trueba, who, uh, had just won an Academy award for a uh, uh, best foreign language film for Bella poke Um, and again, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 24. I'm, I'm a wide eyed kid. I'm fucking terrified. I haven't done a lot of pitches. <laughs> um, and, and, and this was one where it was like, okay, you know, I, I, I was doing these and I was doing them poorly because I didn't have the time to prep for them, all these things. And so it was like, I'm like, I really want to get this one. This is really awesome. <laughs> what I need to do is kind of carve out some space. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm giving myself a week. I'm not going to go to school for a week. I'm not going to log out to know, ultimate bet for a week. And I'm going, I'm going to, to figure this out. I'm going to nail it. I'm going to see what, what doing the work looks like. If I make space, what happens? And I made the space and I put together what was a you know, a badass pitch in in my mind. And it's like, it's like you said, uh, David, it's like, I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to lose out on this job because I don't have my shit together. I'm going to go in with an amazing take. And, and, and the only reason that she's going to say no to me is because, you know, whatever from her. Yeah. Yeah, Something on her side or whatever, you know, A-list screenwriter walked in and and gave a better take than me, but, but I'm leaving nothing on the the table with this one. I'm not going to do it half-assed. And so I walked in there. And sat down with her and, you know, we, we talked for an hour <laughs> and, and like, you know, we became great friends in like an hour and she loves to take and blah, 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 blah. And I still don't know how it's going to break, but, you know, short and sweet, I end up getting the job, you know, and I was and surprised everybody over there because there were some, there were some, you know, heavy hitters going in and pitching on this thing. I was, I, they threw me in last minute. I was the last person they expect to get, to get the job, but I got the job. And then, and now it's like, okay, well, this director is flying in from Spain next week, and 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 you have to, you know, you guys are going to lock yourself in a hotel room for a month and write this thing. Um, and that was the ultimate thing. It's like, okay, well, I have school and I have work, um, and I have this, right? And so, so for me, it was almost like, for me, it was almost like, okay, I have no choice. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, right? And 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 they were paying me handsomely, so that made it easier. So I leapt out into the void. The, the twist on that, the, the the interesting sort of uh uh you know I guess epilogue on it, is that there ended up being kind of a a contractual dispute over the credit. Um, uh you know in 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 the United States, and per WGA rule, like unless the director physically writes fifty one percent of the scripts, he can't have a co write credit on it. Well, here's the thing: is like they're they're being financed by European governments, and they need him to have a co write on it. Um, uh, he, he can't write in English. (laughs) I'm doing all the writing, like he's co-conceiving it and all of this stuff. But, and so there ends up being this, this protracted argument over the credit and I don't get paid for, for, for several months. (laughs) And so I, I left my paid. Uh, Well, I, yeah, eventually I did, but, 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 you know, but I, I have to leave my job in order to do this. Um, but I'm, I'm living on credit cards. I'm borrowing money uh i literally end up on the verge of declaring bankruptcy um uh you know i had, had just signed the deal had told you know had told everybody uh, well, you know oh i had told everybody hey you know you know just got this job signing this deal it's uh you know it's a i mean it's, it's a six figure deal and and my dreams have come true and i'm finally a writer <laughs> i i'm doing this full time and then i don't get paid for 4 months um and, 4 months yeah. is
1: actually like i'm amazed you got paid in 4 months yeah, right?
0: it, it, it might it might have been That's six
1: been I, yeah yeah i
0: yeah, I might have been candy coating it, but um, but 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 you know that was tough. Um, but but since then, um, you know, thankfully, um, I have not had to do anything but write. Um, and and it has not always been easy. There have been some lean years, particularly like shortly after that, the uh the financial crisis hit right around the time that uh the 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 writer strike hit. Um, and so so again, like you know. You 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 get I it, it I always feel like an idiot complaining about getting paid to write movies for a living, but it's like, but you don't have the weekly paycheck. You know what I'm saying? Like when when you were yeah. practicing law, you knew that okay, well every you know for, you know what lawyers lawyers get paid well, right? And and you know you have this much money uh, coming every two weeks or whatever. Um and uh, and and now it's like again I, I I can get I can get paid a, a you know in a big lump sum and i'm i'm happy and i want to throw a party and everything but i'm like wait a minute does it need to last two months or does it need to last two years i don't know yet um and 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 that is very it is very hard to live to live like that when you are 25 and living in a one-bedroom apartment with your girlfriend uh who will eventually become your wife uh it is even harder to live that way when you uh you know are married and you have a mortgage and you have a five-year-old and who's in a, a, a private preschool and all of these things. Um, uh, you know, so, so that's one thing. The, 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 the other thing, and you covered this too, it is a matter of like escapism nourishing the soul. I mean, I didn't get into comics until 10 years later. Uh, and that, and it, 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 it was the exact same thing where right? it's like, you're talking about, okay, well, I'm a lawyer by day. And it's um, it's not feeding the soul. There are things you like about it. There are things you hate about it. It can't be a meat grinder. Um, but I but I write at I write at night. I write on weekends or whatever to kind of feed the soul. Um, and it was the same thing with me, where it's like, okay, well, I'm I'm getting paid to write movies, but like, um, but it became a job. It, it became it, you know I might as well have been subtitling sometimes. And again, I feel like an, I feel like an asshole because I was getting paid to write movies. But it's like Hollywood, you know. The, you what you can do in Hollywood these days, you can fit on a postage stamp. Like they they, you know, you get pigeonholed. There are basically five kinds of movies you can make. <laughs> they want them all written a certain way. And like, and I got I got pretty damn good at writing those movies, you know? Um, but it was it was not nourishing the soul. It was not uh, you know, I, I, I felt like I was tied down. I felt all of these things. And so I started doing comics at night and on weekends, it became a side hustle because I could I could do whatever I wanted any way I wanted to do it. You know I could let loose and it was like uh, it was soul food. It was I uh, you know I, I I had been writing at that point in in Hollywood for I don't know ten twelve years and I was like I don't know if I can do this for another ten or twelve years. Like I don't know if if uh you know, I would almost rather like move to Alaska and I don't know fucking uh, Alaska bears yeah something like that. You know what I'm saying because it's just like because cause this is not working and it was you know comics allowed me to like. I don't know. It brought me to le- it, it, it reinvigorated my passion for writing. It was like, I, I it, it allowed me to kind of explore things and play with structure and experimental elements and unreliable narrators and and all of these like, and, 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 and
2: no books. budget.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll it, never tell
2: an artist like, back, but yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah it's just, it was like a <laughs> test kitchen. It just allowed me to have fun and it, it, it made me love creating again. And, and then, you know, the irony of that is, is, um, you know, I think I've told this story before, and, and I'll, I'll hand this off to you. Uh, 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 after this, Avalonia, I'm sorry for for going on like this, but um, but, you know, with this with this TV series we just set up, um, uh, you know, I was it, it's a heist thing, and uh, and I have written. I don't know a half dozen heist things over the course of my career. Again, I'm I'm really good. I I, I can I can mail that movie in, uh, you know, in in my sleep, right? You know, it's a, like those movies bought this house that I'm in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, and and so I could have just did the heist movie, like I had for for 12 years or whatever. Um, but you know, I'm sitting there staring at this job, and I'm like. And, and and again, like I get this pit in my stomach. It's like, OK, I'm clocking in for the day job again. But it's like, you know what? You know all that stuff that I love about writing comics, all this craziness that I'm doing, this, this you know, uh, um, uh, these unreliable narrators, the experimental elements, playing with structure, all, all of that stuff. What if I just did this here? What if I just said fuck it and went all in? And all of this shit that I love about creating over here, I just also did over here. And so, short and sweet, I did it, and I didn't tell anybody I was going to do it. I just wrote it and I turned it in. <laughs> and, uh, and it 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 took them a little longer to process that uh, that it probably should have. And I thought I was in trouble. I'm like, oh shit, they hate it. They have no idea what to do with this. I start writing the story in my head, and we finally get everybody together on a call. You know, the, the actors, the producers, the the you know uh, all that stuff. And um and they're like, we read it. There's a long pause, and I'm like, oh shit. And they're like, we love it. All this craziness you're doing go back do more you know uh uh uh, and and it it was it was the reason that i mean the number of these things that i've written that just go away uh uh i can't count them you know Uh, um this became special because i did something kind of crazy and different and interesting i did something challenging and because of that everybody kind of fell in love with the process then And, and 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 they they started getting zany with it right and because of that when we when we went to When we went to a studio, they're like, holy shit, this is bonkers. We need this. And we're starting to have the network conversations and the network is having the same, you know, it's like, well, Oh, we, Oh, it's a heist thing. Right. I've seen those and they expect to read and see the same heist thing that they've read a hundred times, but it's like, this is different. This is interesting. This is challenging. This is crazy. Um, And so, yeah, so, so, you know, those are my two leaps. I I guess there are three leaps in there. There's the, (laughs) there's the leap from subtitling to poker. There's the leap from poker to, uh, to, to movies. And then there's the leap from, uh, from movies to comics. Uh, And Maybe there's another one in there. The leaps, the leap from uh, uh, comics to, to, to bonkers uh, screenwriting.
1: (laughs) Um, But, uh, but yeah, those are my leaps. Take,
0: take from it what you
1: will. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I started out in film as a grip electric, like literally borderline a construction worker. People have a hard time imagining me hanging off scaffolding, wearing a tool belt, but this was my life for off and on for years. And my last gig as a grip was the first season of the Power Rangers. And I literally, and it was that kind of thing where, I was making little indie films. I had actually ghost written and ghost directed to exploitation movies at that point, but it was a dead end because I didn't get any credit. So I couldn't go around claiming them. Um, and I remember the last day of shooting on the power ranger, a lot of my friends who were in the crew side of things were all going union. And I was like, if I start making six hundred dollars a day doing this, I'm never not doing this. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm you know I'm gonna have to buy tools. I'm gonna I'm just gonna be- have to become a completely different person if I want to follow the group of people that I've been working with up the ladder. The next step is union and tripling what we make. And I'm like I don't want to do this anymore. And the last day of shooting, they have those uh thirty step by thirty step pyramidal ladders that are on wheels that are on studio floors. I climbed up to the top of one, said, excuse me, and everyone's attention, please? I said, I am never doing this again. For the record, I just want to tell everyone right here. I got a little golf clap from the Power Rangers. That was nice. I was like, whatever I do, I'm just, I'm not, the steel belt part of my life is over. And one of the directors from that show went on to be the executive producer of a spin-off is too strong a word but a spin-off type show called VR Troopers and we had been friendly and I reached out to him and said hey hire me to write on your Power Rangers spin-off and he said okay I'll send you the series bible send me back five pitches or whatever to you know let me know if I think you can do this and I did and he said yeah great so here's your first assignment and you know, but in in that way that my career is just this long, winding, ridiculous path that also led to nothing. That <laughs> led to no other TV writing work. I got one other gig, and it was writing an episode of the animated Spider Man series that they then did not film. Uh, I think they had a they had a grandiose idea of how they were going to handle Spider Man in the uh, Secret Wars. So I wrote a Secret Wars-ish episode with the X-Men in it. This episode does not exist. So I don't know what happened after I handed in my script. I did get paid. So that was nice. But anyway, long story short, I then worked on indie films forever and ever and made a bunch of them. And a friend read an old script of mine, a friend with contacts in the comic book industry, And she said, I can't, you know, I can't get any movies made for you, but I can introduce you to some. uh, It's a great script. I can recommend you to some editors. And I met uh, Joe Rybant from Dynamite at Comic-Con, and we sat down and had some drinks. And most, you know, this is always my advice about networking. We did not talk about comic books for even five seconds. Uh, We talked about movies we liked, TV shows, books we had read. Uh, the closest I did with to pitching was we talked about the fact that Dynamite had all of the pulp heroes from the 30s at the time. They don't anymore. And I said, not for nothing, but I grew up in a household with all of those books because my dad was born in the 20s. And Doc Savage was handed down to me as, you know, a pop culture legacy, which is probably very, you probably won't meet a lot of people. I mean, I'm, you know, at the time I was 49, I'm 56 now. Even 49, you're not going to meet a lot of 49-year-olds who have read a lot of Doc Savage. That's more of like a 70-year-old, 80-year-old kind of thing. but But, you know, and he said, I'll go back to New York and see what I can find for you. And they had a spin off series from a Bill Willingham thing called Legendary coming up. And it was Vampirella. And I, you know, luckily I knew Vampirella and had a feel for the character, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, <Yeah. laughs> she's, a, she's she's del- absolutely delightful to write, um, and uh, and the whole my whole career comes essentially from there. Uh, I've written eighty percent of what I've written is for Dynamite, and you know, uh, it's sort of what Ryland was saying. I'm lucky that they're so small because I get pretty much no editorial interference in what I write over there. And when people say Dark Horse would pay you three times as much, I would say, yeah, and they would make me write it four times. (laughs) Whereas at uh, Dynamite, I'm writing it just the one time, and then the rewrites are actually something I choose to do rather than something anyone ever forces on me. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty ideal situation. And it's funny the little targets you set for yourself. For me, when I started out, my thought was – and this is partially because of how bad the pay is, I was like, I need three monthly books. In order to feel like I'm doing this particular thing full time, I need to be turning in three scripts a month. Because that's a living wage. That is comfortable. I'll be happy with that. Let's see if I can do that. And I haven't always, but for some stretches, I have had three monthly books. And that has been... And, you know, none of them the nature of publishing these days, unless you're writing Captain America, there's no such thing as an open-ended comic book series. Generally someone knows if you're doing 12 or you're doing four, or you know, whatever. Uh, some people go longer than that on bigger name things. But, uh, I mean, I think at dynamite, it's pretty much red. Sonia and Vampirella are let, <laughs> they let those go as long as, uh, as they can. But, uh, but you know, I've been very lucky, I've had this situation where I've been booked for a four issue. Every, every gig with Dynamite has started out pretty much as a four issue miniseries. And then issue one sells really well. And then they say, can you do a fifth issue? And I say, sure, I can do a fifth issue. But if the story ends in issue four. That's what I pitch. Five is going to be like a epilogue or a one shot or something else. And then I'm writing issue two and they say, Yeah, now we're thinking maybe eight. I'm like, okay, maybe issue five won't be an epilogue or a standalone. Maybe it'll be the first chapter or a new thing. But again, like I'm doing whatever the opposite of complaining about that. I think that's a it's a lovely thing that the market reacts and I get more comics to write. But all that to say, it is absolutely, you know, even if you're working at Marvel and DC writing Spider-Man, I don't know that that's buying you a yacht anytime soon you know it's, it's still you know it's it's still what we're paid compared to the film and television rates is you know is pretty ridiculous and insulting uh, but you know i wrote an essay a bunch of years ago called success or the call bluff and you know everybody says when they're a kid i just want to be in show i'll sweep the floors i'll you know i'll do whatever it takes to be in show business and it's like well did you want that or did you want to be rich and famous and have a mansion you know and i wake up every morning and have almost for the past 30 something years and i'm engaged in the making of popular arts in one way or another and sometimes it's the dumbest possible fucking way and sometimes it's being in charge and it's my ideas that are being poured into impressionable young minds that a danger to the future of humanity in the Republic. But, uh, you know, you do what you can. But that's the, you know, we all it's funny what Rylan you know, Rylan always says he's embarrassed to say, you know, that, you know, making movies, making studio movies is a drudgery. But I got to say, I've known so many screenwriters that burned out because of what I call the cocktail party question, which is when you say <laughs> you're a screenwriter, they I was never- going to share this
2: story. But I forgot that you told it. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna be like, "Look how smart I am." Go ahead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but the but yeah, you you ask, you know, what are you? Oh, you're a screenwriter. What have you? What have you done that I've seen? And no one wants to be at that cocktail party saying, "Michael Mann once paid me two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to write a script he may never film." (laughs) You know, and Tom Cruise loved this thing I wrote once, and I got paid by X, Y, and Z to do X, Y, and Z. But no, you have never seen a single moment on screen that was written by me, even though I have bought three houses.
0: Well, there's that, that. and then there's this other thing where it's like, you know, I mean, there's there's this unsaid rule that you don't, you know, you don't talk about unless your names on it. I mean, you 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 said it yourself like a a little while ago, right? And so it's like, I mean, a lot of us are in the turd polishing business, you know. Um, you, You make you make really bad movies slightly more tolerable. Uh, you know, you make good movies slightly better, um, whatever. And, but you were, you know, you were one of, you know, five, six, eight, ten, 10, depending on if you're writing on a Michael Bay movie, uh, 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 you know, guys or gals that kind of had a hand in shaping this thing, you know, you, um, uh, you're, you're, you're baking a cake and you were the, you were the guy that, you know, poured a couple of scoops of, uh, uh sugar into it.
1: Um, I'm not going to name names, but there is, let us say, a legendary media property uh, that there was a fairly low budget film made of this legendary media property. Um, there was a writer assigned to it in the early stages. The creators of the property said, we will never work with this person. Fire him. Uh, he was uh, he was fired and replaced. That person who was fired did he go
2: back did he go back to playing on online poker or no 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 he
1: did not go back that The person <laughs> who was fired off the script uh, I have been told reliably that there's one line he wrote which is still in the movie. It's a good line, but it's one line. He's still like he literally does panels at conventions about this movie that he wrote one line of. <laughs> you will never see him on a panel with any of the other people associated with that media product <laughs> for the reason that they all know that he had absolutely nothing to do with it but uh but yeah that's uh i will i will name names when we're off air it's just a hilarious fucking thing to me you know and meanwhile some of us have done you know ghost work where 80 percent of our work is on the screen and we don't talk about it and you don't claim it and you can't really claim it because that's the deal you made. But uh yeah, it's a yeah, it's a, to get back to our overall thesis, you know, all of the frustrations of what we do writing movies, writing comic books, writing anything. It's an incredibly there is no day job version of it. There is no, you know, you you are absolutely taking a risk and yeah, even I have a friend who was a uh opening credits size star of a television show when i met her she was a struggling actress living in a two-bedroom apartment in north hollywood she stayed in that apartment she got signed onto this network show she stayed in that two-bedroom apartment for two years then she moved into a rental house for maybe five years now, remember, like the lowest she could possibly have been getting paid for that television show is between thirty dollars and $50,000 a week for 23 weeks of shooting for a decade. I think a decade into the show, she bought a house in, in Sherman Oaks. And it's that thing of like having been a struggling actor, she was still like, nope, show could get canceled. It's like the number three <laughs> show. I don't care. It could get canceled. I am building. And, you know, it's very possible she reached into a pocket and took out a half a million dollars and said, how is this for a down payment on this house? <laughs> you know, uh, but I totally get being an actor and going, no, I, I will buy a two million dollar house when I have a two million dollar balance in my bank account. And, uh, you know, w- when the L.A. Times used to have a uh, real estate section, my favorite story every September was. Bob Smith, 22-year-old star of new Fox sitcom Get With It, has just bought a five million dollars home on Malalan Drive. Two episodes have aired. Yep. <laughs> I'm always like, dude, you're gonna be, you're gonna be working the checkout you're at pay- Trader yeah.
2: Joe's in like pick four up, months. The next yeah. week, you pick up the newspaper. <laughs> for sale, five million dollars home for sale. On Mulholland Drive. Yeah. yeah. The,
0: the, 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 the struggle saved me because, you know, uh, again, I, I hit, you know, I hit pretty hard and pretty big, you know, back in, you know, 2005 or whatever, when I, when I first broke and like, and, and I came really close to like hitting that lottery, you know, I mean, I, w- I was, I was an inch away um, and it didn't happen. And, and, you know, that was tough. And, you know, in a lot of ways it sucks, but in a lot of ways I think it saved me because like, if I, um if I had money, and I had influence and power back then. I don't know what I would have done with it as an idiot 24-year-old kid. You know, I, well, I, you I, know I, I, I'd probably be dead. I, I, I might be, I might be you written, jail.
2: like, a bunch of movies that describe exactly what will happen? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: If, I, I guess if you know my, if you know my work, <laughs> yeah, I pretty much have. Well, so right. yeah, yeah. The,
1: the, the, yeah. the comic that I do with Kevin Eastman is literally about that because he yeah. had that experience. He was a multimillionaire in his 20s. Yeah, and you know he called up Warner Brothers and bought the Tim Burton Batmobile because. <laughs> and I, I always think about the other side of that phone call. I always think about the guy in the Warner's business affairs department with his hand over the receiver, going, uh, "The Ninja Turtles guy wants to buy the Bat- Batmobile from Tim Burton. What are we selling that? What are we selling that for? What number can I give this crazy person over the phone to make him go away?" And they're like.
2: You know, Ask for a turtle.
1: Yeah.
2: i sold. I over I a guy
1: with a check.
0: <laughs> I, so bought, I so, so would have bought Thomas Magnum's Ferrari
1: or or Jim Rockford's Firebird. I I, I may have on both and, and those would not have cost, I think, what the Batmobile yeah. probably cost Kevin in 1990. Yeah. <laughs> Brown, no, there were
2: originally five turtles, and he gave one over to get the Batmobile. So. <laughs> he sold <laughs> it.
0: That's really good. I, I mean, all, all that said, now that, you know, now... You know, after years of kind of doing this as a, a trade, almost you know, of uh, of you know, fighting to make ends meet and all that stuff, I mean, I, you know, haven't um, you know, haven't done poorly, but but didn't hit that lottery either. Like, if I hit the lottery tomorrow, um, then, you know, I would be okay. I don't know that. I mean, we have a pretty damn good life. Um, and I don't know that it would change much, you know, uh, my, my Toyota is a little bit beat up now. I think maybe I would go and buy a new Toyota. <laughs> um, I, I don't think I'd be making a, a call to Warner Brothers, uh, uh, anytime soon, or I guess it would be universal if I was buying the 18 van or, 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 or Magnum Ferrari. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, um you know, I'm, I'm older, I'm wiser. I've, 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 I've learned, uh, you know, what life is about, uh, uh, to a certain degree. So like, you know, for me, it's like, um, I don't know, I might get a, might might get a big Coke at the movie theater. That's about it. You know, that's, that's living to me <laughs> now. It's not, a, well, it's, it's, fun. it's not, the,
1: not making it read, but yeah, go the ahead. actress that I mentioned earlier when we were both struggling are, I I had once said to her that for me, the entire difference between having money and not having money is doing math at the grocery store in my head to what can I afford and buying the good popcorn instead of the jolly time popcorn and so for years she would call me up and say Mm -hmm. you know how's how's your week going? Is it an Orville's week or is it a jolly time week? And, yeah. and I'd say, no, we're in the Orville's over here. We're good. You know, we're eating high quality expense. We're eating $7 a pound popcorn yeah. instead of 99 cents a pound popcorn. Yeah. The,
0: the, um, yeah, that, the, that That's really the line. Like, I don't, you know, I don't think we'd go and buy a, a bigger house or whatever. It's like, we, we like, we may make our like small house nicer. Like I, I have this, uh, I have this shitty whirlpool dishwasher that I keep having to fix on my own. Like I would
2: maybe I get would, some stuff for your wall behind you. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I,
0: I do have a. at <laughs> <memory of> <laughs> yeah. yeah, some, some uh, kind Yeah,
2: yeah, of- there's <laughs> nothing on the ceiling right
0: now, so uh, so I think that I would um, I would maybe move into that, but um, but yeah, I, I would I, I, I would like office space style. I would probably rip that dishwasher out. I would drag it into the alley behind my house, and I would uh, I would take a baseball bat to it, and then I would. Um, I would pay someone to come in and install yeah. a uh, a new dishwasher that isn't going to break on me uh, once a year.
2: Your uh, neighbors. Oh, it looks like Ryland got a new job. The dishwasher <laughs> flying through the window. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 yeah. it would not be... Um, flying through you know, the window and landing on the car. Yeah, it, yeah. That 18 yeah. van. Ooh, that's <laughs> a big job.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, but it, uh, uh, yeah, but it would not be... I, our, our life would change by... I don't know two percent i think if uh if i suddenly had kevin eastman money in the bank i think uh and that would not have been the case when i was 24.
1: right well that's yeah, yeah. that's the whole point when you're yeah. 24 you buy the batmobile and go this is a wise investment
2: <laughs> <laughs> i feel like though at some point as you get older that 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 meter goes back to the crazy side right well there is that crisis. whole midlife crisis. Uh, yeah so you like yeah. you're young and stupid and then you turn out to be old and stupid and do that stuff yeah yeah, yeah. i mean
0: I, I, it's just a a big purchase for me is like i don't know like go and get a nineteen eighty four castle gray skull or something like that it's not that <laughs> it's just not that crazy at this point you know like, um i I'll never be the the ferrari guy or the uh or the you know i i here's the thing is i'm I, I you know i'm probably never gonna have to worry about this but i, I just don't <laughs> think it's you know, I don't think it's in me. I mean, what, what, what would you, what would you guys buy? You know what I'm saying?
1: Like castle Grayskull, but the, but the, the yeah. life size one.
0: Oh, life size one. Okay, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah I mean, <laughs> I'm, right you know, I'm still, I'm still living in an apartment, so a house would be nice. Uh, yeah, and yeah. then uh, Rylan
2: moves into the ca- real life Castle Grace <laughs> and We still we still see the dishwasher fly out the second floor. It, <laughs> what the?
1: Castle Grace Well, look, Castle Grace does not have great appliances. I think that's yeah. cool. No,
2: probably probably very little indoor plumbing.
1: It's very yeah. dra-
0: it's, it's very drafty. You'd have to very get like that, uh, you
2: know, H-pack. Like the atmosphere is like yeah. chef's kits, man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> HVAC heat pump, you gotta, you gotta yeah, really. Good there's open. a lot. There's a lot to. There's a lot to. The rec room's a mess, you know. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot. Going I mean, on. It, it,
0: it, 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 I think the place would look the really nice. The sex
1: dungeon needs to be yeah. totally yeah. retiled, you know.
2: Like,
1: yeah, need to get some hardwood in there, you know. <laughs> you need, oh, the hardwood sucks up it. liquids. You don't want that. Yeah. You get tile.
2: proofing the 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 like sword racks, the axes, sure. all that stuff. There you
1: go. Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol preps for the ball gags. There's just, there's a lot to, there's there's a lot to buy. This show is taking a turn, but uh, we should should probably, uh, we should probably wrap up, but David, I know you've got, speaking of three books, rain. How many issues does rain run?
2: Uh, It's going to be five. So we are currently on issue three comes out in March. And And there's going to be a beautiful card cover coming in August. Be, well, and, great, fire, right. and the Firefly series? Uh, it started this month, and it should be going for 11 issues. So all the way through the end of the year.
1: Nice. And it will there be more Killer Queens?
2: Uh, t-b-d, TBD. Okay, um, fair enough. I would like to share very a lot of information with everyone at the moment, but Ooh. it's a little bit early on. Boom! Okay.
1: Well, was a great series, and I recommend it highly to anyone uh, listening. It's so much
2: fun. Huge fan. I have it. I have it. Uh, let's see. Boom. Right there. Yeah. Nice. yeah. All LGBTQ creative team brought came together to make what I affectionately refer to as Guardians of the Galaxy. So beautiful, <laughs> fun, retro, crazy.
0: It, it, it's it's so much fun and it's so crazy. It was, it was just evident to me, like immediately. I mean, page one, page two, something like that. Just how much, you know, how much, like, it was just a party you guys making that thing. It just, you guys, it just seemed like everybody was having so much fun doing it and it, it mm-hmm. shows. And, uh, and I was, I was smiling the whole time. So I, I highly recommend it.
2: Yeah. It was a precursor to ripping your heart out with rain. So it's very much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, rain, uh-huh. rain. Rain was a painful read,
1: but I look forward to seeing where it goes,
2: in the in the best way possible. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Is there anything else you've got coming out that we should know about?
2: Yeah, so there's more Canto coming out this year. We're gonna have a mini series coming down the pike, two issues, and then a six issue finale called Canto Four: A Place Like Home oh and then there's a few more uh some more stuff that hopefully we can share it's a little again early in the process but cool
1: and Ryland what have you got for the kids tell you but I'd have to kill you
0: um I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media that's r-y-l-e-n-d-g-r-a-n-t uh I have to spell it because it's not a real name my parents drunkenly saddled me with it and uh you know now I walk around with it and I have to spell it for people and it's uh, inconvenient for me and you, uh, but find me there. Uh, my books, the Ringo Award-winning everance and the four-time Ringo-nominated Bandjacks are available in fine comic shops everywhere and via Amazon. I almost said and comiXology, but there is no and comiXology anymore, right? Um,
1: so so we're not
0: mentioning comiXology and we're not mentioning that other uh, uh, podcatcher that... Uh,
1: A lot uh, of fun. Yeah, yeah
0: that, 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 that we threw out the window with the dishwasher uh, a few weeks ago. <laughs> um, uh, uh, my my Kickstarter books, uh, The Astral Projection Thriller, The Jump, and The Fargo West Crime Drama, The Peacekeepers, are available right now via my backer kit shop. If you go to the jump2.backerkit.com, that's the jump one word and the number two, the jump2.backerkit.com, you'll find those there, um, as well as autographed copies of Aberdeen and Banjax and everything else, and con variants and all that stuff. Um, it is a one stop Rylan Grant shop, so uh, stop on in and treat yourself. Um, and uh, as I said uh, in the opening and at some other point, uh, the trade paperback, the collected edition of my uh, Source Point Press Tokusatsu romp, Suicide Jockeys, is, uh, should be available now via your, your comic shops. If not, it'll be next week. Um, tokusatsu for the Uninitiated is the Japanese sci fi action genre that includes things like Power Rangers uh and uh super sentai and voltron and uh also includes kaiju fair like godzilla um in a nutshell suicide jockeys is fast and the furious uh meets voltron with an extra dollop of heart and soul and um kind of at its core it's a uh it's a family drama um so uh so go pick that up um if you care about such things i think it's currently sitting at a 9.2 on uh on comic book roundup. So uh, it's, it's been well received, well loved, well appreciated. Um, Hopefully you appreciate it too. So uh,
1: what do you got for us, David? March 9th, the fifth issue of Elvira meets Vincent Price drops. And it's a surprise. It's a, an epilogue to the four issue (laughs) mini series, but it also, it ends on a cliffhanger that kicks off, a series called Elvira in Horror Land that is coming. What? In- wow. Uh, yeah, that's just got that news just dropped the other day. Um, Elvira and Holler, in Holler, in issue five of Elvira Meets Vincent Price, she discovers that all horror movies create little pocket dimensions that you can get stuck in. And she gets stuck in the pocket dimensions of various famous horror movies. Uh, the first one is uh, Psycho. Um, and the second one, the second issue is called "She's a Kubrick House." Uh, if you can possibly guess what movie we're parodying, and she's a, a Kubrick House. <laughs> Every the time issue...
2: I think I can't like you more, have it. <laughs> Jeez, you gotta stop.
1: The third issue will, the third issue will be called either Elevator <laughs> Ridley. Yeah, right. Ridley's Believe It or Not or Geiger Encounter.
2: Ridley Ridley, me this.
1: Yeah, Ridley me
2: this. <laughs> that's also good. The Ridley-er.
1: Uh, The first issue is called Block Party. Once Around the Block. I can't remember what Robert Block pun I made for the psycho issue, but some sort of... Uh, Romero
2: and sort. Juliet?
1: What's right. that?
2: Romero and Juliet? <laughs> so I don't I know like
1: that it. we're going to... I haven't decided on the fourth issue yet.
2: I it's free and then, we'll,
1: it's free then, then yeah. we'll see no I like Romero and Juliet that's funny I was leaning towards Halloween <laughs> it, of course it, it, we would call the October the 31st movies uh, because you know lawyers but uh, anyway so that's coming and then the news just dropped the other day that Drawing Blood, the previously mentioned comic I do with uh, Kevin Eastman, has been picked up by Scout, and we will be dropping the first issue of that in July of this year. We'll hopefully be a big presence at uh, San Diego Comic Con talking about it. And uh, Scout, you know, we we kickstarted four issues, and then we kickstarted another four issues. We're in the process of finishing that second arc. Uh, but the plan is that you know, starting in July of 2022, we're dropping issue one, and July of 2023, you should see issue 12 of uh, Drawing Blood. We're going to go straight through. So that's all the news that's fit to print on my end. Thank you once again, David Boor. Always a great pleasure to have you on the show.
2: Always so much fun to be here. Thank you so much. Love Good it. Thing,
1: man. And we'll see you all on the next exciting episode. Thanks for listening,
0: guys. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more Madcap Hijinks on the Writer's Block.
1: For more information, visit PendantAudio.com.